Imagine a human being with knowledge about their future, the consequences to avoid, and the opportunities to run after. How do they act in this world? What do they do? Let's start with the end in mind and work backwards. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. I'm Munahashi, and welcome to the Toward Ihsan podcast, where I help empower you with guidance and clarity, enabling you to live a meaningful life, free from anxiety, frustration, and burnout. Through this podcast, we embark on a journey of personal development, spirituality, and service-oriented living, aiming to transform ourselves and our communities for the better. For the better. For the better. Because this podcast is about, about you. you. Today, we talk about what happens immediately after we die and how, through knowing that, we actually free up our lives from a lot of stress and anxiety. Listen closely to this episode to learn some things about where you're going you might not know about. Now, I know death is a sobering topic, but it's also a powerful reminder about perspective, about what's really important. It's the reason the Prophet ﷺ encouraged people to go visit the graves, to refocus your priorities, to gain an understanding of your end, and to really drive you to strive for what's important. It's how you live a life without regret. I really want to focus today on this idea of starting with the end in mind. You know, my dad gave uh, my sister and I uh, the, an audiobook to Stephen Covey's Seven Habit, Habits of Highly Effective People uh, when, when we were much younger. And it, one of the habits in that audiobook really stuck out to me. Um, and this one was the idea of beginning with the end in mind. So when you die and you're on your deathbed, who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be known as to your family, to your friends, your employer, your, or your employees, your neighbor, etc.? Who do you want to be at your deathbed? What are your values? And once you determine that, your next question is, well, what would that person that I want to be do? How do they live their life? What do they do? And you've likely done this type of exercise before, by the way. So you might say to yourself, I want to get to my job interviews and I want to be well-rested. I don't want to be in any rush and I want to be at the right location. And so to do that, to be this punctual, to be put together, to be this energized person at your interview, you break down what you have to do mentally. Your tasks become search up the place I'm supposed to go to at least 24 hours before and or do a, a dry run where you scope out, the, scope out the location so you're familiar with your route. You will tell yourself you're going to make sure that you go to bed early so you can wake up well rested. You're going to make sure you eat a good breakfast for energy and focus and you're going to start heading out early with time to spare. You do that when you're planning on things and you, you picture yourself doing the things that are important to you. So you do this with other things you care about. You do this for other things in your short-term future. Why not do this for your everlasting life, for your ultimate destination? So that's the first thing you're going to do. 
you're going to begin with the end in mind and then work backwards to prevent living a life of regret. But then what really is the end for a human being? How do you prepare to go somewhere if you don't even know where you're going? What is a journey to the final destination like? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Ar-Rum, it is Allah who created you, then gives you provisions, then will cause you to die, and then will bring you back to life. This journey of going from being created to being sustained and living here and then dying and then being resurrected, this is a journey that is has been meant for us before we were even born. And this final life, that end that Allah SWT talks about, that final life that you're brought back to, that's your end destination. That And the Prophet calls the home of Akhirah, that is the life. So when Allah talks about Akhirah in the Quran, Akhirah literally means the last life. So you die, you're resurrected, and then you have your final eternal life. And we know there are two versions of this afterlife. It's either Jannah, paradise, or Jahannam, hellfire, the nar, the fire. May Allah grant us the highest Jannah and protect us from hellfire. Ameen. But your entry to the Akhirah, to this next life, this last life, your final destination. Your entry is through death. Death is therefore not the end. Death is a gateway into the next life. And what you do leading up to it determines your final outcome. And again, I know it sounds really morbid to talk about death. You know, humans don't like it and, and some might even fear it. But some of that fear I believe, comes from not knowing what happens when we die and also from a flawed understanding of the role death plays in the journey of the human being. And that reminds me of uh, a time when I was talking to one of my good friends, super smart, brilliant woman, uh, and she was training with a doctor. And we're talking one night and this was like after she had a long night where uh, while she was doing her program rotations for her med school and her rotation that time was, was in the morgue, uh, it was it was tough on her. One of the most harrowing, harrowing realizations that she was telling me about was just how uneventfully people died. The people lying on the morgue tray, they died reading a book on their couch like they did every night or grabbing their nightly mug of tea from the cupboard, stirring their soup in a bowl to cool it down they were living one moment and then just gone without any pomp or grandeur in the next. Between two sips of tea, two pages of a book, two slurps of pine nut soup. And she asked me a question, a question every human being has wondered at least one time in their life. I honestly call it human nature at this point. And the question is, where do human beings go when they die? And then I told her all of it. Who comes to us right before we die, what they say, what they do, where we go, what we say to them, what we do. 
And as I finished describing every detail of this journey of like, yeah, yeah, okay, this is the way what happens when you die, this, this, and this, and this. I just heard silence on the other end of the phone. And then it was like I could hear her shaking her head in bemused amusement because she paused and she chuckled. And then she said, you say it so matter-of-factly. And then I, I, I blinked because, because it is. It is so matter-of-fact. And I get it. Death is always toted as this great big unknown. And this is such a fundamental reframe that we as human beings need to switch on about the reality of our existence because you're not left abandoned here on earth with, 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 you know, without reasons for why you're here and where you're going. Those, these are not, these reasons are not undiscoverable. You weren't created in play. Allah SWT tells us that in the Quran, you're not create, didn't create you in play. There's a reason you're here. I mean, imagine waking up on a moving train one day, not knowing how you got there or where you're going. That's just anxiety building. And that's no way to live your life. Especially because that's not your reality. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala created you and he gave you the Quran. This is a manual for your existence. It's about the past, the present, and the future. It's like all time of a human existence. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a messenger, sent the Prophet sallallahu to remind you about what's in the Qur'an. Do you know what's in the Qur'an? It's what's in the Qur'an you're going to find is how you as a human being were created, why you were created, where you were before earth, why you are on earth, what you're going to experience on earth, and how to respond to those challenges and which pleasures you will enjoy, what happens when you die, and where you go after you die. The whole journey. Clear as day. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Anbiya, لَقَدْ أَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكُمْ كِتَابًا فِيهِ ذِكْرُكُمْ أَثَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ We have surely revealed to you a book in which there is your mention. Will you not then understand? Don't you want to find out? Clear, it's there, the whole journey. Death is not undiscoverable. It's just a book you haven't read yet. So read it. It's about you. And I'm going to summarize what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about death here today in this podcast episode. And I'll also summarize what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, has been commanded to teach us about death. But it's so beautiful when you read and discover it for yourself. So I highly recommend the Quran and the Hadiths, which are the same as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as excellent resources and sources. And I also recommend, if you're interested, this book that I found super helpful and it actually also collects all of this knowledge for you and summarize it really, summarizes it really, really well. And it's called Life in Al-Barzakh, From Death Till Resurrection. And it's by a scholar named um, Muhammad Al-Jibali. Such a great summary. I really love that book. I actually gifted it to my friend uh, while she was working in the morgue. So what does the Quran and the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam tell you about this inevitable journey? So your soul was created before your body meaning you existed outside of this world. Then you were brought into your first life, dunya. And dunya actually, the word dunya literally means the lowest life. 
So this is your lowest life. And you're he- you, you live here for a while. And then your dunya body dies. Note that I said your body dies because your soul doesn't. It simply goes to another dimension. So your body dies. Death is the gateway to another dimension. And your soul is taken there until resurrection. After which you are taken to your final destination after judgment. Either Jannah, heaven, or hell. If you listen to how I intentionally worded this process, you'd have noticed that the you part, the who you are, the soul part, doesn't die. You, continue, you continually exist after creation. You just journey from dimension to dimension. You're just traveling, entering the first world until you reach the final one. And from that perspective, looking at, at your existence from this perspective you're an immortal being. You're created to be eternal because you continually exist. So you don't truly die, die, like end. There's, you don't end. <laughs> you keep on going. And so death is not the end of our existence. It's simply the end of this first life. It's the end of dunya. And it's a gateway to the final one. You need to pass through death. It's a terminal. The Prophet ﷺ told us to live in this world as if we were travelers. Because we literally are. So death is a terminal. It's a transfer junction. So now what do we do about terminals? If you're a traveler, you pay special attention to terminals because you need to make sure it takes you to your preferred destination. So pay attention to this. Because everything I'm going to tell you is, is a fact and it is as real and as vivid as the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad described. This is what happens when you die. If you have chosen and acted righteously in your life, when is your time to die? Two angels with faces as white as the sun appear at your feet and they, they're carrying a shroud from Jannah, from paradise, with perfume from Jannah accompanying it too. And you're the only person who can see them. You're the dying person. You're the only person who can see them. And they will stay there at your feet, just waiting eagerly. You see, they have a job to do, but not yet. There's a process here. So they wait. And then what? And then who they're waiting for actually comes. And who they're waiting for is the angel of death. So the angel of death will appear and he'll sit by your head and he'll call out to your soul. If you're a good soul, the angel of death which is Malik al-Mawt, will say, come out, good soul, come out to forgiveness and the pleasure of Allah. And your soul will exit your body from your mouth, pouring out of you like, like water pours out of a spout, just smooth, easy. And just like that, your soul has left your body. Ah, but remember those two carrier angels waiting eagerly at your feet, the ones only you can see? Now they spring into action because it's their turn to do their job now and they do it eagerly. The moment the angel of death, Malik al-Mot, removes your soul, they are taking you from him and wrapping you in a perfumed shroud of Jannah. And then what? And then they carry you up to the heavens to be registered and you smell amazing. And you should know something about angels. They, they love good smells absolutely love them so prepare yourself if you are a good soul as your two carrier angels carry you up to the heavens no group of angels they pass will let them by without asking about you just like who's this good soul and your two carrier angels reply 
this is so-and-so, a child of so-and-so, and they'll use the best name you want by on earth. And then what? And then they bring you to the lowest heaven and they ask the gatekeeper, uh, the gatekeeper angels to open the gate for you. So they open the gate and the archangels from that heaven escort you to the next heaven. And it goes on and on and on this way until you reach the seventh heaven. So everyone's asking, who is this person? Who smells amazing? It's so-and-so. Please open the gate. They open the gate. They escort you. Next heaven, next one, until seventh heaven. And then what? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, record the book of my servant in Iliyun. And if you don't know what Iliyun is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explained it to us already in the Quran. So relax, it's there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, but no, the virtuous are certainly bound for Iliyun. So your record is going to be in Iliyun, in the book called Iliyun. And what will make you realize what Iliyun is? It's their destination recorded in a register inscribed. So you're registered in Iliyun as amongst the people who will be registered into paradise. It's like, write them down. This person, this person's going to Jannah. I want it recorded in this book. And to have your name there, imagine like when you're trying to get into the super exclusive place and they ask you, is your name on the list? That's you right there. That's your name in Iliyun. And then what? And then you're brought back to earth for the next stage of your journey. The moment that the last footsteps of the last person leaves your grave site, your soul, just boom, appears in your grave. So you're registered in Iliyun, the last person leaves, and then boom, you're in your grave. And then another two angels appear and they ask you a set of three questions. Who is your Lord? What is your deen? Meaning, what is your way of life? Who is the man who was sent to you? And since you were given the answers to these questions beforehand, you know, from the moment you heard this in this podcast, or if you learned it earlier, you answer, my Lord is Allah. My deen, my way of life is Islam. And the man who was sent was the messenger of Allah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Muhammad. And then they ask you, what is your source of knowledge? And you reply, I have read Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. I believed in it and I declared it to be true. And then a voice says from the heaven, my servant has spoken the truth, so spread out carpets for, for them from paradise, clothe them from paradise, and open a gate for them into paradise. And then your, your grave becomes spacious for you. It's furnished from the furnishings of paradise, and you're clothed with the clothes of Jannah too, and then a window is open to your place, your specific place in Jannah, so you can watch it and be happy, and you beg and beg and beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring about the last hour so that you can go enjoy it. You're like, please, God, just resurrect me already. But it's not time yet. And then what? And then you remain there, waiting, happy in your grave, waiting until the day of judgment, until the resurrection day, when everyone, everyone all human beings, from the time of Adam, alayhi salam, to the last person, when everyone is resurrected at the same time. And whether you died yesterday or 3,000 years ago, it will just feel like a few hours for you. As such as a life of a human being. What is 80 years if for an eternal being? It's like a blip in their lifetime. And that's how you literally feel when you're resurrected. That you just were on earth for a few hours. A day or part of a day. 
we have to understand that this world, dunya and death after dunya is the gateway to akhirah, gateway to the last life. Where you're going to go depends on what you do here. I just told you that when you die, the angel of death visits you and they carry your angel shroud and they perfume you and they take you to the highest heaven to get registered. After which you return to your grave, you're questioned in your grave, and then you're given the news of your eternal destination. And some of, it, um, some of it, you experience some of the delights in your grave while you wait for resurrection, while you wait to go there. You're put in a high class lounge to wait. <laughs> that is the good outcome. That is the outcome of someone who has prepared who knew this period in their life was coming and that they prepared for it. So what happens when you don't prepare? When your answers and the deeds you put forward are so bad that your outcome changes? Let's take a quick walkthrough of the same process, but this time with the bad outcome. So if you failed to prepare for your hereafter and departure from this dunya into the next, then when the angel of death comes to visit you, it's not a pleasant experience. Because when the angels come to visit you, there are no bearers of good this time. And the bad news is apparent on their faces. And you do not want to go. The angel of death sits at your head, just like with every death. And the angel of death, Malik al-Mot, calls to you. But it's not a happy call this time. Come out, wicked soul, to a bad return and the displeasure from Allah. And you do not want to leave. Absolutely not. Your soul fastens itself to your body as hard as it can. When the angel of death goes to remove your soul, it's like ripping out a tangled ball of yarn through a thorn bush. It's painful. And the carrier angels are not happy to see you either. You smell terrible. And they wrap you up in a cloth and they take you to the lowest heaven to get registered. But you stink so bad. The most offensive smell that has ever existed on earth. And the angels ask, absolutely disgusted, who is this wicked soul? And the carrier angels say, so-and-so, a child of so-and-so. And they introduce you with the worst names you were called on this earth. And then when you're brought to the first gate, the angels refuse you entry. No way. Instead, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands that your name be recorded in Sijin. That's the register book for those destined for hellfire. And you are thrown out of heaven into your grave, just as the last footsteps leave. And you're asked the same questions. Who is your Lord? What is your deen? Who is the messenger sent to you? But this time, this time you don't know the answers and you have no deeds to show for it. You are not fit to answer it. And that is not good news for you. Answer the question. I don't know. Answer the question. I don't know. Answer the question. I don't know. But you did know. You did know you were going to die. You did know there would be a graduation day, a D-day, but you refused to prepare for it. So you receive the bad news of displeasure and your place in the fire. Your grave is constrained for you, so much so that you are squeezed and your ribs overlap. And a window to your place in the fire is open for you to see what was the outcome of your earthly work. Not a good place, but that's the second outcome of where you could potentially go, the worst outcome. The good news is that it's very difficult to go to hell. It's actually, it's really hard to go to hellfire. The only way you can get a zero on your exam is if you didn't try at all. And that's the key here. That's the main idea of hope that I'm trying to get across to you in this episode because we want to prevent a life of regret. We want to prevent dying with regret. 
All right, so that was the outcome of the, of the exam. Now, how to do the exam itself? Simple answer. All you have to do is try. If you think of doing a good deed, that is counted as one good deed on your scale. If you then do the good deed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala multiplies that one by anywhere from 10 to 700 times or more. That's for one good deed. If you think of doing a bad deed, but you don't do it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala counts that as one complete good deed for you. If you then do the bad deed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the angels wait to record it until you repent. Just wait. Don't write that down. Just wait. Give them a chance. If you fail to repent soon after, then it's recorded as one bad deed. And that's why it's so hard to get hellfire. You have to really work for it. Every single opportunity you get to do something good, to think of doing something good, to, to think of doing something bad and not do it. All of that is counted as good deeds for you. They're multiplied by 10, by 700 or more. If you do a bad deed, it's just one. So you, the scales are in your favor. So you really got to work hard to be those, those one bad deeds to count so much for you that it tips the scale. And the bad news there is if you become so accustomed to not trying to do good, to not trying to repent, to not trying to fix yourself or your life or your methods, then getting into hellfire becomes really easy. I don't want that to be me and I don't want that to be you. In life, there are going to be situations where not trying is going to seem really, really good. Like it's going to seem like a good idea. It's going to seem so much easier to not try. It's going to seem like living a life of not trying is more fun. It's less tiring. It's stress-free seemingly. It's seemingly easy, preferable. It's attractive. If that happens, if you start looking at 10 to 700 times a good deed is not worth the effort, I want you to come back to this podcast episode and reframe what you, design, what you define as effort. I want you to put death in perspective. And I'm going to help you change your understanding of what it means to try. You are a human being. You are a child of Adam, created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and placed on this earth to do good. That can feel like a heavy responsibility sometimes and an impossibility other times because you can't be perfect. But I want you to understand something. You're not asked to make sure the dust from the world's deserts reach the surrounding waters and, and fertilize the phytoplankton to feed the fish and the visiting seabirds. You're not asked to make sure Molly books a ticket to Italy at the same time Carlo decides to stay in the country to scur the eventual meeting in the future of their entire progeny for centuries to come. No, you're not asked to make sure that your internal body temperature stays at 37 degrees Celsius. You're not even asked to make sure that your heart beats continuously and that the fructose in the apple you just ate goes to XYZ muscle fiber in your left leg. No. You're not asked to do any of these things. These things are for Allah. These things are not for you. They're not for you to try. It's not for you to make sure you get into the, the best school and get the highest paying job and buy the best house on that street and marry the person with XYZ salary. These are all outcomes. They're not efforts. Outcomes are for Allah. Efforts are for you. Because you could try and not get into the best school. You could try and not get the high, highest paying job. That doesn't, that doesn't determine your future after a death. Just the trying part did. So you don't need to worry about the outcome. The outcomes is not a reflection. It's not, it's, it's not a pure reflection of, of your efforts. 
and that's that's why it's that's why it's so special that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is your lord because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appreciates your efforts if we start with the mindset in life that there are two parts one part belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and one part we are responsible for then we can avoid a lot of unnecessary grief and worry and burnout i want you to memorize this formula for life that I'm going to tell you, and you will find yourself unburdened. You will find all those difficult moments, the ones where you just want to give up, where not trying starts to seem appealing. You'll find that you are actually trying to do Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's work there. And with this new formula, with this new reframe, you'll find it easier to leave Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's work alone. <laughs> you can't do it anyway. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of things and you'll just focus on your part. So here's your formula. And I actually learned this from a productive Muslim webinar. So shout out to Muhammad Faris. So this is the formula. Thoughts and actions plus the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's universe plus dua equals outcomes. I'll repeat it again. Thoughts and actions plus the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's universe plus dua equals outcomes. First part of the equation, thoughts and actions, that's you. That's your work. Everything else, the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's universe, answering the du'as, and the ultimate outcome, that's all Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have this tiny piece. It's for you to try and try your best in both thought and action. Personally, I've gone through burnout trying to live a life without regret because it's one of my biggest fears. And I realized I went through that burnout because I was doing it wrong. I'm not in charge of the outcome only my efforts. See, burnout happens when you have really high expectations and low control. You're, you're going to burn out. When I finally understood that what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually wanted of me was to just try, I let go of trying to control the things that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could control. And I focused on what I had the power over, which was my choice. And when I did that, I was free. I was free to hope again, to work towards a future where I could be happy with the work I had done at my deathbed, to pursue a life without regret. And if you think, if you think to yourself that I can't die without accomplishing X, Y, Z, then you're doing it again. You're doing it again. You're raising expectations you were not meant to raise in an environment you do not have control over. You can't choose when you die. That's not for you. You can just choose to intend and to do your best thought and action. If you do that, you will know the next part of your story. You will know your future and you'll have great hope for its end because you would have prepared. Death is how you determine what is worth living for. And you may not accomplish everything you decided to try doing before you die. And that's okay. You will always have more you want to accomplish before you leave and we know that because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam told us so there's a hadith where the nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam drew a square in the sand and then drew a line in the middle of it and that line extended outside of the square and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said this is the human being and this square is your inevitable death encircling you from all sides and this line which is outside the square, is your hope, your aspirations. So your hopes and your dreams, they'll always extend past your lifetime on earth. But know that if you were living a life of someone moving in that direction, and you intended to do some good work, it still counted for you when you die. 
The Prophet ﷺ told us that too. So if you intended to do Hajj, for example, pilgrimage, and you were someone who used to save up each year to one day go, even if that's not a possibility for you in this life, even if you die before you actually go to Hajj, Allah SWT will count it for you when you die, as if you did. See, you didn't create that outcome for yourself. Allah SWT did. All you did and all you ever need to do is try. So let's try our best. Let's begin with the end in mind. Which soul do we want to be? What outcome do we want for ourselves? And then envision the tasks for that future. But I don't want you to envision gargantuan tasks. No, I want you to make a list of things you can try to do. That's your first part of the equation, trying your best in thought and action. And the things you try in life should be realistic. They should align with the laws of Allah Taala's universe. But with dua, you're not in charge of, of the answering of it. Allah is. And Allah has no limit to what he can give you. Dua can actually change qadr. So asking Allah for things can actually change decree, change qadr, because it's Allah who set both. So in life, be realistic. But in dua, ask the impossible, because nothing is impossible to Allah And like always, focus on your part. You're the farmer. You sow. Allah grows. Efforts are for you in the very best of thought and action, and outcomes are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Practice this formula, practice this mindset, and watch your life unburden for you. If you found this episode valuable, please consider subscribing and following the Toward Ihsan podcast on your favorite podcast platform and share with your friends and family. Thank you for listening. Till our next chat, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. To all you regulars working towards Ihsan.